welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, why not check out our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Um, so I, I don't know how you found um, these series of talks we've been doing over the last couple of months um, about encounters with Jesus, looking through the book of John. Um, it's been great to get fresh reminders of these stories. And for me, I've often discovered something new about Jesus that I hadn't seen before. Um, and like any encounter with Jesus, I've been challenged about how to respond to him and what that means for my day-to-day life. So we've got two more encounters with Jesus to cover this week and next week before we wrap up the series. And today is a great one. We are going to be talking about Jesus and Lazarus. The story of Lazarus being raised from the dead is well known in popular culture. There's a song by David Bowie and I found out this week there's also a corresponding musical called Lazarus. Um, There are medical terms like Lazarus syndrome, which I also found out about this week, uh, which is someone spontaneously returning to normal cardiac rhythm after failed attempts at resuscitation. So you might know that if you uh, live in that work in that world. So while Lazarus is an interesting character, what's more interesting is what we learn about Jesus. So today we're looking at John uh, chapter 11 verses 1 through 45, and we're basically going to be dipping in and out of that passage uh, all through uh, today. So I would encourage you, if you've got Bibles, if you've got apps, just leave them open uh, and and track with us as we go through, Um, but we'll have some of the verses come up on the screen now. So starting at the beginning of John chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay ill, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus said, this illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you and yet you're going back. So the context of this passage is helpful uh, to see what's going on with um, what might seem like Jesus' slightly confusing decision to stay where he was for a couple of days before going to help. Um, in the previous chapters and in the previous talks in the series we've been going through, Jesus has been encountering people and performing more and more miraculous signs and in the process offending many of the religious people of the time. And finally, you see in the chapter just before, they react by trying to stone him. Um, Jesus is able to escape from Jerusalem and he crosses to the other side of the Jordan River. So it's not clear from this passage exactly where Jesus was, but clearly he had gone some distance away from Jerusalem. But Bethany, this village where his friend Lazarus was on the verge of death, was just two miles outside of Jerusalem very close to the city he'd just escaped from. When after two days, Jesus suggests heading back that way, it's clear from the disciples' response that returning that near Jerusalem would mean trouble. 
whether Jesus' reason for staying where he was for two days, it certainly wasn't laziness or complacency. And it's quite possible he was praying and deliberating over what the decision to head back towards Jerusalem would mean. We pick it up again. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So after the disciples' confusion, Jesus explains it to them clearly. He's already aware that Lazarus has now died from his sickness. Um, So as I mentioned, we're not totally sure where Jesus was at the time where he heard um, that Lazarus was unwell. But it's quite commonly held uh, view by biblical scholars is that he was about a day's journey away from Bethany, a day's walk um, aware from where Lazarus was. Um, and if that was the case, if you can kind of do the maths in your head, um, it mo- it's quite possible that um, Lazarus actually died shortly after the messengers were sent um, from Mary and Martha. So if they took a day to get from uh, Bethany to where Jesus was, and then Jesus stayed where he was for two more days, and then took another day to go back to Bethany, that that would kind of balance up with the fact that Lazarus had already been dead for four days. So actually, if he had passed away um, shortly after the messengers had left, it wasn't that he was um, not wanting to heal Lazarus from his sickness. Uh, maybe he, he knew he was already dead, but actually he was wanting to bring greater glory to God by timing Lazarus's resurrection for four days after he had passed away. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So Thomas's comment here, again, makes it clear that Jesus' decision to head back towards Jerusalem was putting himself in real danger. But let's go back to Mary and Martha's perspective. They send out this desperate plea, their brother is sick, and they know, what exact, they know exactly what to do. They had a close relationship with Jesus, they knew Jesus And they were well aware of all the miracles he had been performing already. He had healed people who had been blind or paralysed for years. So healing Lazarus, who had only recently fallen ill, would be no challenge for him, right? In John chapter 4, Jesus heals an official son who was on the brink of death without even having to go travel to him. So why then does Jesus wait until after Lazarus had been dead for four days before doing anything? Try to put yourself in Mary and Martha's perspective when they've sent out that message for help and they're waiting and they have no idea what's going to happen over the next few days. How would they have been feeling? Many of us will have been through situations where we've seen people or in pain or suffering and pleaded with God to do something about it. And we look and we have this innate sense that what this person is going through just isn't right. We think that if God is just and loving, that he'll intervene and do something to end that person's suffering. Maybe some of us, like Mary and Martha, have seen God's supernatural healing before. And so we're simply asking for him to do it again. God, just do what you do, but do it quickly, please. And those prayers are not bad and I don't think God wants us to stop bringing those requests to him 
but he might be asking us to think about how we respond when we don't get the answer that we're looking for, either right away or maybe ever at all. Um, Some of you may have previously heard me talk about the five or so years that I lived in Manchester before I moved here to Birmingham a few years ago. Um, So I moved to Manchester because I thought God had called me to plant a new vineyard church there. And I worked really hard to try and get something going. I put on lots of events to meet new people and I tried to gather other Christians around me to help build the church there that I thought God had called me to establish. But after several years, the momentum had not picked up and there still wasn't something that most people would call a church. I felt confused that I had not uh, received the support that I'd been praying and asking God for and, and was just struggling to work out why had God led me there to that place only to close down the church plant after a few years. And although I struggled to see it at first, I learned to trust that Jesus loves me and has good plans for me, even though they weren't quite what I expected them to be. And while we see our lives and our world through a very narrow perspective and time frame, our Heavenly Father sees the big picture and how it all fits together to work out for his glory. So the challenge is not to ignore the pain that we sometimes have in that waiting, but to bring those petitions to God and trust that he has the situation in his hands, however it may work out. The passage continues, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days now. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. It's so hard to read the tone of Martha's, if only, in this statement. In some ways, it reflects the confidence that she had in Jesus' power and authority. If only he had been there. But it also speaks of the pain that she was going through at the time. If only Jesus had intervened, then her dear brother would still be alive. I don't know how often you consider what might have been if only something had been different. If only you hadn't failed that exam. If only you hadn't got distracted and crashed that car. If only you hadn't started that argument or made that comment. I think for a few years of my early childhood, my family grappled with some pretty difficult if only questions. Um, When I was five years old, uh, my nine-year-old sister passed away. Um, She had been in what initially seemed like a fairly trivial accident in the school playground that very rapidly, over the course of a few days, turned into something much more serious that eventually took her life. I was clearly very young and I coped probably the easiest, though I missed my protective older sister dearly. My brother, the eldest of the three of us, If only he had been there in the playground at the time, maybe things would have turned out differently. My parents wondered if only they had taken a different path with some of those tricky medical decisions, maybe things would have been different. 
As a family, I think we're all very aware that things could have turned out differently, but they didn't. And we had to deal with the very real pain of that. Maybe you have an if-only story of your own. Martha asked, if only, then maybe her brother wouldn't have died. My family asked, if only, then maybe my sister wouldn't have died. But years later, I've been able to reflect back on the good things that God has birthed out of this tragedy that my family experienced. My parents um, spent many years counselling others through their suffering and grief. And my mum wrote a book um, a few years ago on her experience with dealing with grief that's proven to be really helpful uh, for many of the people who have read it. And so while sometimes we go through the if-onlys, we need to move on from them. And so straight after that if-only statement, Martha adds a glimmer of hope to her suffering. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. But even now, even in the midst of all the grief and the frustration, she knew that Jesus has the authority to do something amazing. How do we move on past the if-onlys to the but even now to see what God might be wanting to do in our current situation? In response to Martha's statement of faith, Jesus starts to talk about resurrection. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. He responds to her pain and confusion with an attempt to, com- to reassure her, to comfort her. And despite her previous indication of faith in Jesus' authority and power, she interprets what Jesus says maybe a bit like he was saying, don't worry, one day everything will be all right. One day, she like most Jews at the time, believed in a future resurrection, like Christians today still believe, that one day her brother with all the other believers would get new bodies and would live in a new heaven and earth with no more pain or suffering. One day. Maybe she felt like Jesus' response was like someone saying, imagine you know, you're just falling over and you've broken your leg. It's just broken and snapped and someone comes along and says, don't worry, in six months' time it'll all be healed. One day, one day, not exactly sympathising with the pain that is being experienced right now. Maybe that's how Martha felt in that moment. But Jesus is looking to tell her something about himself that will affect her right here and now, not just reassuring her about sometime in the future. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come to the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Why was Jesus only moved at this point, at this point in the story? Well, that, um, that description, that phrase, deeply moved, comes from a Greek word that often means a groan to express indignation towards something. Um, that phrase, outside of the Bible, is used to express a snorting of anger, like actually the noise of a horse. I'm kind of thinking it's something like, <gasps> you know, that kind of, that, you, when you see a horse in a field and it looks slightly grumpy and that noise it makes. So this wasn't like a... Um, uh, like the rest of the mourners with Mary were doing at the time, Jesus is enraged. And I don't think it's Mary or the, um, the people with her or the disciples that he's uh, enraged with. I think it's death. I think he is frustrated about the consequences of humanity's sin and knows that something about it is not right. He is about to face the reality of his friend's death. And even knowing how this particular story is going to end, it doesn't stop how he feels about death. It would even be on his mind his own upcoming death and what he was about to go through in just a short amount of time as he was making his way back towards Jerusalem where his accusers were waiting for him. He is frustrated and angry about death. Jesus then says, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Again, Jesus reacts emotionally to the situation he's in. But the word here used when it describes Jesus wept, um, it's not actually the same word um, in the original Greek um, for the weeping that it describes for Mary and the other people with her um, just a few verses earlier. So I, I imagine that weeping, um, it was this kind of audible type of wailing and weeping. And I don't know um, what your experience has been, but different cultures and different places around the world express grief differently. And I think uh, in the subdued and quiet style of grieving in the modern Western world, um, we're perhaps less familiar with that loud uh, wailing um, that is quite common in other cultures. And in the Middle East at that time, that's what it would have been like. The people around Mary and Martha would have felt obliged to weep loud in order to fit in with what was expected at the time. But Jesus responds with quiet and genuine tears. His love for Lazarus and in fact his love for humanity was deep and the thought of them succumbing to death even just temporarily brings Jesus to tears. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind men have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour for he has been there four days. 
And now we come back maybe to the significance of Lazarus having already been dead for four days and even perhaps why Jesus had delayed his journey to Bethany by waiting where he was for two days. Um, So there's some historical evidence at the time that suggests there was a Jewish belief uh, that the soul of a deceased person would hover around the body for three days after death, perhaps looking for re-entry into the body. But after three days, it was thought that the soul would see the body starting to decompose and would leave. Martha was aware that by the fourth day in that hot climate, the body would be well on its way to decomposing. And there would be the stench of death if they removed the stone from the front of the cave that Lazarus's body was in. Continues, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. The author, Tom Wright, in his commentary on this passage concludes that Jesus doesn't, at this point, pray for Lazarus to be raised from the dead because he already knows that Lazarus is alive. The stone is removed and there's no stench, there's no smell. Death has been cast away. Tom Wright even suggests that in those two days before Jesus departed, he was already praying for Lazarus, that his body wouldn't decay, but instead be prepared for resurrection at the right time. When he has said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth round his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. All that was left to do was to command Lazarus to come out of his grave. He was already alive. The Jewish burial custom at the time was for the body to be wrapped in pieces pieces of cloth. So Lazarus would have just about been able to hop out the grave. So I think maybe we need to start singing the song a little bit differently because it should be. And I hopped out of that grave because he was he was covered in cloth like he he would have struggled to run, I think. Um, So hopping out of the grave uh, and very quickly needed some help to to get those off him and to get the bandages um, that were wrapped around him. And then the final verse 45 that we're looking at today says this, Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. As Jesus had been saying all along, this event had been carefully timed in order to bring the greatest amount of glory to God. There could be no doubt that Lazarus had been dead and there were lots of people there to witness his resurrection. So while in the account of when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead that we read about in Mark chapter 5, and in that story Jesus says, don't tell anyone what's happened here. With the resurrection of Lazarus, there was no intention to hide it. There was no way to hide it. It was out there and it would draw more attention to Jesus both good with more people following him, as that verse says, and bad attention with his enemies being even more frustrated and keen to stop him by any means necessary. So death had been temporarily defeated for Lazarus. But Lazarus would eventually die again at some point in the future. 
But Jesus was well aware that he was on a collision path with death himself that would be excruciatingly painful, but ultimately triumphant with death being completely defeated. So what do we learn as we reflect upon this uh, encounter with Jesus? It asks questions, how do we cope when we experience pain or suffering or witness others suffering when we long for Jesus to do something about it? Or when we experience grief and think, if only things had been different. Well, we can trust that Jesus understands our emotions and has experienced similar feelings himself. Jesus wants us to bring the honest truth of how we're feeling to him, but also wants to give us the freedom to move on past the if only onto an attitude of, but even now to embrace how he might be working in your current situation. So we would love to give some time and space for you to reflect on on what this encounter with Jesus might mean for you. Um, I'd love to invite the the band back if they were uh, available. Um, And we would just love to give some space um, as these guys um, play to you, for you to just reflect on these these stories, this uh, account that we've been going through and thinking, what is Jesus saying to me? What is he uh, wanting to... um, challenge me about what is he wanting me to change in my thinking and my approach Um, and we have got time um, after this song to be able to um, we really want to minister and pray to people pray with people individually so I just encourage you to to reflect upon um, what you've heard and what the Holy Spirit might be doing in you and we would love to to just um, yeah share some specifics about how we can be praying for you after that we hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful Why not come along and visit us? We gather at three services across two sites on a Sunday and meet during the week in small groups across the city. More information on both of these can be found on our website. Thanks for listening and God bless.